This episode is brought to you by Novel Gazing, the newest literary fiction podcast from Book Riot, North America's largest independent book site. Novel Gazing is your destination for all things literary fiction, including recommendations for under the radar reads, works in translation, buzzy books, and more. Stay in the know, expand your TBR and your view of literary fiction, and of course, share some laughs with hosts Mary Kay McBrayer and Louis Johnson. Subscribe to Novel Gazing wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to Whoa. Welcome to another episode of Books and Boba, a book club and podcast featuring books by Asian and Asian American authors. My name is Martin Yeh. And I'm Ri Rayu. And today we have a special author interview for you. We'll be talking to Joe Ide, the author of the IQ series, um, the first of which IQ was one of our previous book club picks. Um, and his latest book, High Five, just came out earlier this year. Yeah, I think it was a pretty good conversation. Uh, we talked about uh, Sherlock Holmes. We talked about uh, growing up uh, Asian American in a predominantly Black neighborhood, and you know, multiple personality disorder. There, there's a lot that we uh, we covered in our interview. So I hope you guys like it. Yeah. Without further ado, please enjoy our conversation with Joe Ide. And we're here with Joe Ide, the author of the IQ series. The fourth book, High Five, just came out earlier this year. Um, welcome, Joe. How are you doing? I'm doing well, Marvin. Thank you for inviting me. Well, we're very happy to have you. Uh, IQ was a previous book club pick for our podcast, and uh, we uh, enjoyed the uh, innovative uh, storytelling and like your characters. It was really fun reading your first book, and I'm just so grateful that you took the time to speak with us today. I guess we can start off with how how are you doing? Um, it's been a really wild couple of months. Um, with just everything that's going on, how are you doing in this day and age? I'm well. I'm very lucky. Um, I get to work at home. And um, so so my life is, is more or less the same. I mean, I wear a mask. I go out less frequently. Um, there's th- those kinds of things. But I, I, I can't say I'm, I have any hardships. Um, I'm just stunned by what other people are going through it is a it is a tragic time but it looks like we're headed towards some progress in terms of racial equality and i'm glad for that uh yeah um so i wanted to get into uh where you grew up because i know that iq is loosely inspired by your experiences growing up in south central uh, so I'm curious, what was it like growing up uh, Asian-American in a neighborhood that had a large African-American Black community? Well, I was, I was as a kid, I was largely ignored. Um, my, um, my family had been in that neighborhood for a very long time. My grandparents um, uh, moved there in the, in the 30s. So we were part of the finish, furniture, and it just wasn't that the same kind of, of animosity between ethnicities. 
You know, we, we, it wasn't so polarized. And so um, many of my friends were black, but not, it, it never came up. You know, the question of what race you are just, just never came up. It did, it did contribute to, to me in terms of I didn't feel like I belonged. I mean, I, I wasn't black and uh, I wasn't white. And, you know, I was, a, I was a creature of the neighborhood. So um, I, I really, I didn't really feel like I was Japanese either. Uh, you know, it, it was, there was always this sort of cultural generational um, conflict within, you know, within the family. Uh, there's my grandparents, who were very old world, and my parents wanted to be uh, Brady Bunch mainstream. They were fluent in both English and Japanese. And then the kids, me and my three brothers, and we had adapted to the neighborhood. Um, we, um, we walked the walk and talked the talk. And, and, and so that was, more, that was more familiar to me um, than anything else. And, and that's why the, the environment uh, in my books um, is the hood. I moved it from South Central to East Long Beach because South Central, at least my area, is largely Latino now. And I want a, a more diverse neighborhood and, and East Long Beach fits the bill. Um, but it, it, you know, it formed my view of the world and it gave me a lot of rich experiences to write about and a lot of neighborhood characters to write about. it. And so I'll, I'll, um, I'll always be grateful for that time. Yeah, that's interesting that you said mentioned that your your family is part of the furniture because I imagine if you your family moved there in the 30s, your family was there for the demographic shift of that neighborhood, right? Yes, they had been there, my grandparents, um, for all these decades. And what happened in the 60s was that uh, the Japanese and white families were moving out. They were going to the suburbs. They were going to Glendale, Montebello. But my grandparents couldn't afford to leave. And so the neighborhood kind of became black around them. Um, they were very isolated. You know, all that time, they didn't know their neighbors' names. They, they, um, they, spoke, they spoke Japanese, very, very little English. They're very traditional. Um, my grandfather he collected samurai swords and he had a Japanese garden. My grandmother, uh, she was a calligrapher and she, um, she had a koi pond. And so, you know, it, we were just, we were just very, very different. And it, it, um, it really kept me, I think, from identifying myself as Japanese. And as I grew up, I never identified with any particular ethnicity. And I still don't. Um, one of the things that I really loved about uh, your book was the language. I was really impressed by how uh, all of the characters sounded. It sounded authentic to me. Um, did you have any sensitivity readers uh, when you were working on it? Or did you just trust in uh, your own experiences growing up in South Central? Well, the vernacular was my first language. Mm -hmm. You know, I had to learn how to talk like this. <laughs> Very helpful. Um, I was never. <laughs> yeah, I, I um, 
when I was writing the book, I never, the question didn't really arise. What, what um, my sort of criteria was, um, would this character say this in this way, in this situation? If I felt like that was honest, then I wrote it. But again, it was, it was, it's not like I was really conscious of it. I wrote, I wrote to my own ear. Does that sound authentic? Does that, does that reflect my experience? And, um, and writing the dialogue was really, was really fun. As, as a kid, um, because I was sort of alienated, it made me a, a watcher and a listener. And, um, I, I was sort of, you know, never in the mix. And it sort of makes you observe what other people are doing and why. And uh, I think that was at least the start of my interest in, in characters. Uh, speaking of characters, uh, so IQ is uh, very much, like you said, Sherlock in uh, The Hood, I know that you have a large interest in Sherlock Holmes. Uh, it was a piece of literature that you grew up with. Uh, do you have a favorite case from the Sherlock Holmes short story collection? Um, I cannot say that I do. Uh-huh. Um, mostly because all the stories run together in my mind. Uh-huh. <laughs> I think there were 54 of them. Yes, that's, and that's I read correct. all of them multiple times before I left middle school. It was... It was a huge influence on me, I think, because I identified with, him, uh, with Sherlock. He was an oddball. You know, he was, he was, um, he didn't really fit in anywhere. <clears throat> and, and also like me, he wasn't a badass. And what really, what really got me, what really impressed me was that he could deal uh, with the obstacles in his life with just his intelligence. That's a very powerful idea uh, for me. I'm a small kid in a big neighborhood. And what that idea meant to me was that I could face my own world and not be afraid. And it, it, um, it stuck with me um, all through my life. And I'm, I'm, I'm so appreciative of, of that, that time and my interest in those books. Um, so I noticed that IQ, uh, like when we think about detectives and procedurals and investigate uh, investigators in fiction, as well as uh, on TV, uh, they tend to have like gadgets and labs and forensics. Um, but I noticed that IQ is a little bit more on the low tech side, uh, which makes him stand out from normal investigators in fiction. Uh, was that uh, what compelled you to make that? Uh, character decision. It was a conscious choice. Okay. Um, I wanted to separate him from other uh, detective characters. No, I didn't want him <clears throat> uh, to live in 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 a penthouse or or drive a fancy car. I didn't I didn't want him to listen to the same music everybody listens to. I wanted him to be quiet and unassuming and have a sense of what is just and not find that justice um, at the end of a gun. I, I wanted him in, in, in as many ways as possible um, to be different. 
you know, he has he has a car, um, an Audi S4, which is a fast little car, but it's it's eight years old, and um, it's small, it's gray, it's almost anonymous, and there are no rims on it. <laughs> you know, in a neighborhood that that appreciates appreciates rims, he listens to primarily to jazz, and he um, his house is not is not decorated like other houses would be in the neighborhood. And so in all ways, I'm trying to separate him from everybody else to make him distinctive in that way, including being low tech. He does not have that, you know, convenient friend on the police force. and He doesn't know how to hack. You know, I sort of liken him to um, Jeremiah Jones. You know, he knows what he knows. <clears throat> he knows what he knows out of long experience. And um, out of putting his knowledge to use, and and all of that was a really appeal to me, um, because again it goes back to that thing about being able to face your world and not be afraid with just your brains. Um, so I want to talk a little bit more about your uh, background as a screenwriter and how you transitioned to being a novelist. Uh, you came to novel writing in your fifties, uh, and, you know, like in an industry that usually is more excited about younger debut authors, uh, how did you feel about transitioning from screenwriting to, uh, novel writing? Well, it was, um, it was almost involuntary. <laughs> <laughs> I um I worked a lot. Um, I um I worked for most of the major studios. You know, I sold specs. I did rewrites. Uh, I did assignments, but nothing I wrote was ever made. Uh, a common story amongst screenwriters. <laughs> yes, very common story. And if nothing else, I have work habits. So I would just you know labor away on this screenplay for months. And then have it end up as, you know, in, in somebody's data vault, 12 people have read it. And that's sort of how you keep score as a screenwriter. What did you get made? And although people like my work, if your movies aren't made, um, producers and studio execs come to sort of think that you're some kind of jinx. And <laughs> 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 somehow you just didn't make the cut. And and so my work got um, my assignments got fewer and fewer, and in the meantime I'm getting burned out. Um, I just I associate so much failure with um, with screenwriting that I, at the end I couldn't open the screenwriting program without being physically repulsed. <laughs> um, and and um, it got so bad that I quit. And, uh, you know, I, nobody noticed. <laughs> but <I quit. laughs> and so afterwards, I'm, I, you know, I was depressed. Um, <clears throat> it was sort of an identity thing. You know, if I wasn't a screenwriter, who was I? So I, um, I felt sorry for myself. And I took, you know, long walks with my dog. <laughs> Looked soulfully out at the ocean. <laughs> but... <laughs> Uh, eventually, you know, it dawned on me I have to I have to make a living, and I only have one marketable skill: writing. That's it. 
I don't know how to do anything well enough to get paid uh, other than writing. So I figured I would write a novel. And and so the writing of it was, I, I, I love to write. On the other hand, I had to write. <laughs> so, so I started on the I started on the novel. Um, it took me um, three years. I had the luxury of writing full time. Um, I had to take a second on on the house to do it, uh, and that also that also was very motivating. <laughs> and um, <clears throat> eventually, you know, eventually it got finished, and I knew no one in the um, in the publishing. No, and um, I'm. I'm. This is the luck part. It's extraordinary how much, you know, how much influence luck has on your life. But I'm sending it out to readers, the manuscript, and um, I have this cousin. His name is Francis Fukuyama. He is a world-renowned political scientist. Um, he um, he runs a center for democracy at Stanford. Uh, he speaks all over the world. And um, he's on the board at RAND. You know, he's that kind of guy where you sort of, you know, wonder how you even share DNA. So I asked him if he'd read this, the manuscript, and he said, sure. And then he got back to me, and he really liked it, to my great surprise. And he put me, he said, do you have an agent? I said, no, I, you know, I got to go get one. And he said, let me, let me put you in touch with my agent who turned out to be a woman named Esther Newberg, who's been head of literary at ICM in New York for 25 years. <laughs> so that was, that was the first person um, you know, in publishing that read, that actually read my manuscript. And uh, Esther sold it within a matter of weeks. So um, I was extremely lucky. Yeah. That's one of those lightning in the bottle type of stories that, you don't hear about it often, but when it does, it's and it's a testament to your long years as a writer to be able to write a manuscript that was that compelling. So congratulations on that. How long was it between finishing that first manuscript and selling like and publishing that book in twenty sixteen? Was was it pretty quick? Um, let's see. It was eight or nine months. I sold it in two thousand fifteen. And then it, Wow. Yeah. Um, but there's a, there's a big process, you know, it's get, it gets edited and, um, they're very demanding. My editor is very demanding and gives you notes and then you rewrite and then you get another set of notes and you rewrite it again and then you polish it. And then there's the copy editor gets a hold who goes over, you know, line by line and will correct you, um, on really small things. So you have to do that. And, you know, you're not the only book getting published. You're in line, and they have to calculate when is the best time to, to publish your book. And, um, and so all of that came in between. It was, it was a long wait. Well, IQ was published in 2016, which, as we all know, was a very, um, I guess you can say, pivotal year in our country. Um, but since then, you've written three other books in the span of four years how how was that process? Because it, you say it, it took you three years to write that first book, and then in the next three years, you've written three more. It's um um yeah, they take about nine months now, but it's a question of practice. 
you know, I'm, I'm writing full time for three years. And you start to figure out um, what your own style is, what your own, you know, what kind of that vocabulary you use, what, what is your syntax, what are the things you focus on. And, you know, and the writing itself, you get better. You know, it's, it's like any other kind of craft. Um, you, you, you use it, you do it, you ponder it all the time. And eventually you get better at it. And that's, that's what's happened. I am quicker to solve writing problems. Solutions come to me faster. You know, um, uh, plot twists and turns come to me faster. Um, I don't speed through them. I'm just better at it. And, and, and so I've been able, fortunately, to publish a book a year. Yeah. That's interesting because you write in the, um, mystery crime genre where pacing and plotting is so so critical um how do you unwrap these mysteries because do you start with the solution or do you like work your way up to it um i don't have a plan <laughs> i start with it yeah and some characters and then i just start writing literally i just start writing with the first iq book i had sherlock in the hood and um, I wrote page one. And page one informs page two, which informs page three. And, and on and on, you start writing in bigger increments. Uh, but as you're writing, you get to about page 50. And you start to see where the story could go. What are the possibilities? And, you know, will you need a new character? Will you need a subplot? Where will that subplot go? So the more that you're writing... Um, the more you can you can see you know the field and see what kinds of things you can do, and then I get to about page hundred, one hundred, and I look back on what I've written, and uh, you start to see what's unnecessary, you know what kinds of things you wrote that just don't belong, and you see like threads of the story that are broken. You know, what happens on page 98 could not happen unless there was a setup on page 33. And so you, I, I go forward and back, forward and back, because I have to, if I adjust something in the early pages, everything that comes after it is is different to one degree or another. And so this constant going back and forth, it is not efficient. And I wouldn't recommend it to anybody. <laughs> you know, the, 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 the last book, High Five, um, I saw, happen to see Three Faces of Eve and Sybil uh, in the same week on, on reruns. And I was, it occurred to me that, you know, someone with multiple personality disorder would make a hell of a client. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and, and that intrigued me. That really intrigued me. And I had Cristiano. The young woman who has multiple personality disorder and Isaiah. And um, I started to write. Um, that plot uh, is pretty complicated. And I had never written a straight up <clears throat> mystery before, straight up whodunit. And um, I got completely lost several times. <laughs> I got completely lost in my own mystery. 
at who is doing what and um, all that kind of thing. I got terribly, terribly confused. And um, I, I got help from my editor, Josh, Josh Kendall. I, I turned it in early. And when I turned it in, it was 87,000 words. And uh, when we finished, it was 113. So um, it really helps um, because I had really moved myself into a corner. Because we mentioned uh, Christiana, I just wanted to ask, like, how did you uh, decide which personalities you gave uh, her? Because they're all like very, very different from each other. That was a calculation. Um, I, um, I wanted them to be very different. I wanted them to have conflicts between between them, between the personalities, as well as with the outside world. You know, they all have a way to relate to the outside world. That's 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 you know not especially um, easy, and so they create conflicts in their own in their own lives as well as between each other. And that old adage, um, "Story is conflict, conflict is story," is true. And so I tried to create as much conflict as I could um, among the various personalities, as well as the case itself. They are not helpful in resolving the case, and they're, and they're not helpful in terms of helping Isaiah. And it is out of those conflicts that Isaiah's personality comes to the fore, because the more difficult the problem, uh, the more he has to step up, the more he has to show his skills. And it gives me an opportunity to to display his character. And I think that's what interests me and may interest a lot of readers, is how does this guy uh, handle the world, handed, handle what's, what's, what's presented to him? And it is resolving those conflicts that make him unique because he resolves things uh, differently than than anyone else, and I, that's not exclusive to me. That's, I think that's what makes all of the um, detective characters uh, distinctive, and and there are many great ones. Um, but that was that drove my choice choices in terms of the personalities. Uh, do you have a favorite personality uh, in terms of writing? Like, is there one that uh, was more fun to write than the others? In terms of the five, yeah. In terms of the five personalities, uh, Christiana, um, she's what they call the host personality—the one that sort of deals day to day and handles sort of day to day problems. Um, the um, the others look to her for um, for advice for to solve the problems of the real world. Um, they, they may be jealous of her. This is all true, by the way. The multiple personality um, uh, disorder is that these personalities really think they are different people. They have different backgrounds, different ages, different sexuality. Um, they have different eyeglass prescriptions. Um, they, one of them will get sick, uh, but the... But but it, it, that sickness only displays itself with that with that personality. Um, they they may know about each other, or they may not. Um, it is it's a fascinating field. It's tragic, but it's 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 really 
really fascinating. And so I, I wanted a character to bear the brunt of those of, the, of, of those problems, those real sort of problems. And it, it fell on Cristiano. And I tried to imagine myself, you know, having this, this incredible burden because she only lives life part time. She'll be herself and uh, she will transition into another character, sometimes or another personality, some, sometimes by choice, uh, sometimes not. And, and while this other personality takes over, uh, uh, the host, Christiana in this case, is unconscious, has no awareness of, of what these other personalities are doing. So the host personality um, may, uh, um, you know, may, may be driving the car along and she, uh, she transitions into a different personality. So that second personality may get into a car accident. The first personality wakes up in the hospital and doesn't know how she got there. And, you know, in terms of, of plotting and unique problems to solve, um, the, um, uh, the multiple personality uh, disorder was a, was a feast, really. Um, I, had, I had trouble reining it in. I mean, in fact, some of the sort of the more negative reviews said there's, there's too much going on. Today. <laughs> um, but um, that was really um, challenging to write. Once I got back on track, uh, it was it was fun to write. How did you go about researching um, multiple personality disorder, and um, how long did that take you? Um, I don't, um, I don't like research. You know, <laughs> I want to get on with it. I want to get on with the story. Um, and so what I do is I'll go into a subject, uh, and answer the questions I have. And the trick is knowing what the questions are. Um, I read a lot. I talked to, um, I talked to doctors who, who treat the disorder. I watch a lot of video. And um, that was sort of that was sort of my background. Um, I, I, I would I would reach a point in the story where I had to ask myself, what would this personality do in this situation? And then then I'd have to go back to the reference material to see what makes sense in this situation. And um, you know, as a result of that, in terms of my overall state as being a writer, I have a I have a vast knowledge of things, but it's about two inches deep. <laughs> <laughs> you know, there are some people, you know, some writers like uh, Megan Abbott, you know, if she, there's a rabbit in her, in her book, you know, she'll research, you know, famous rabbits through history. <laughs> she'll just have this, in, in, you know, huge in-depth knowledge of the, of the subject itself, but that, that's not me. Um, so you also, like, in High Five, you have uh, gun violence and white nationalists, uh, two topics that are relevant to uh, today. Um, like, was that something that you sought out in writing, uh, or was that just coincidental? It was coincidental. Oh, really? Uh, yes. Um, when I pick a bad guy, 
I, I look for all the things I need in a bad guy. What do I want this bad guy to do? Um, how do I want him to conflict with the other characters? What does this guy need to do what he does? And I try to make everybody smart. Um, in this case, the, um, the primary bad guy, Angus, I try to make uh, them smart. If they're not smart, they're no challenge for, for Isaiah. And um, I, I need an evil idea behind behind the bad guy. In this case, it's it's white nationalism. And I don't I don't really try to write an essay on white nationalism. What I try to do in in High Five and the rest of my books is to get inside the head of someone who is a white nationalist. You know, how do they see the world? What is it they're using? to solve the problems that are in front of them? Or what kinds of human problems are they, are they experiencing themselves? Um, you know, we, we all uh, have different kinds of, have different kinds of needs um, in terms of specifics, but we all share the same, the same ones. We all need to belong. We all need to find some sense of self-worth. You know, all of these things I try and find even in the bad guys. And that's where my key interest is, is what's going on. <laughs> you know, when I was a kid and being the watcher and the listener, I was always confused. I was always going, well, what's, what's going on? You know, what, why are my parents saying those things to each other? You know, they, they don't make sense. You know, well, why are these kids popular and I'm not? You know, it, it was, it was a, they were questions that, 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 that I had throughout life, whatever I was doing. And um, in the books, I, I, I had an opportunity to um, explore that. And it's, it's, um, it's very rewarding in terms of being a writer. Um, so I'm, I'm curious as to like, what was the feedback from uh, the Black community? Um, I know that, like, I think I... Was it was it with your first book? You did a book signing at Isowan's uh, bookstore here in LA, which is a black mm-hmm. bookstore. Yes. All I got, not to say this, all I got was compliments. Oh, okay, yeah, that's great. <laughs> compliments are fantastic. <laughs> yeah, and what what um, meant the most to me was that um, I had credibility, where the book had credibility, and. Um, uh, none of the the sort of black readers that I I met myself uh, had anything sort of negative to say, and that's that's one of the things I was worried about the most. Um, was now that this book is out, and you're you're an African American, and you read this, does this ring true? I mean, it rang true for me, but I didn't know how how African Americans would react. And so that was very, very gratifying and, um, and has been through all the books. So earlier this year, um, it was reported that IQ was being turned into a TV series um, produced by Snoop Dogg. Um, what was your reaction to that news like? Oh, that news, I was ecstatic. Snoop will be the face of the show. Um, he also knows everyone in the, you know, the music community. And so he'll be able to pull in you know, different kinds of um, musicians, different kinds of stars. 
And um, he's also really smart. So he'll make an actual, a real contribution. The, um, the book sold to TV in 2015. And they just, they just got a package together a few months ago, a package meaning um, a pilot script, uh, which I really like. It was written by Matt Carnahan, who was a writer-producer on House of Lies and a bunch of other things. Um, the producer is a guy named Alex Gardner from um, Chuck Rovin's company, and he's a veteran guy. And he knows the business side. He just knows the business side. And um, so there's there's that. And then there's Snoop, and there's a director named Dion Taylor that's also attached. He's done small movies, but he's an excellent director. And what happens is the um, uh, the producers take that package around, and that's what they try and sell. Um, we have, um, you know, this is what we have. These are the people that we have. Um, these are our intentions. This is the pilot. This is where the show will go. And um, so they shop that from, from studio network to network. And um, uh, HBO just made an offer, which we're going to take. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. Yeah. That was that's, that's great. Yeah. I mean, now that the package is out there, um, how much, I guess, influence will you have on the show? Or, is it, or do you, are you just letting um, Snoop's company run with it? I um I'm fortunate in that uh the producers um really respect the material. I was absolutely struck by it. And the first meeting I had was with Matt Carnegie. And um he's this great big guy, looks like a uh, um looks like a biker. Um and he um I met with him for breakfast and he was the nicest guy I've ever met in show business. Ever. Um, he's kind and patient and um, absolutely loves the books, respects the books, and um, really invited me to participate, um, you know, to go to meetings, to read scripts and all this thing. He said, you can participate um, to the extent that you want to participate. You know, who says that to a writer? <laughs> Nobody ever, ever says that, you know, to, the, to a writer the guy who wrote the book and um and so i've been extremely extremely fortunate um in that sense and and uh, uh, this is the, the actual production is still a long way off you can't really predict these these things with adaptations and uh tv shows um i hope the adaptation uh, you know it, it comes along nicely um, you have a next book in the IQ series. It's called Smoked. And uh, like, is this is this the final book? Because uh, High Five, it kind of ended on, um, I don't want to spoil anything, but it, it kind of had like a nice conclusion to it. So I'm just wondering, like, uh, how many books do you see the IQ series going? And what is your next book going to focus on? Um. I'm going to write them as long as they let me. <laughs> I, you know, one of the things that I enjoy about the books is that the characters grow from book to book. You know, they, they have a different human problems like we all do. And, and so they, they mature, you know, uh, in, in, in what's the name of the book? Wrecked, Dotson was going to have a baby 
And in High Five, he has the baby. And these are the kinds of things that keep it alive for me. What's next for this character? And I don't know. Um, Anyway, um, the book that's coming out, is called Smoke. And um, I can tell you that Isaiah deals with serial killers. I was reluctant to do that because of the 10,000 serial killer books that are out there. But I took a different approach, like I took with the white nationalists. I try to get in their, into their individual heads and um, how their backgrounds link up with their specific behaviors, um, as opposed to you know, modus operandi, you know, taking souvenirs and all these kinds of things. I, I approach them as, as characters, and um, we'll see if anybody likes that. The, um, and Dodson, you know, Dodson's been chronically unemployed, and his, his wife, um, Charisse, has been on him always about, you know, getting a legit job and joining the, uh, the legit world. And she's so fed up, she gets him an internship uh, at an advertising company. So here is Dodson, uh, street hustler to the bone, um, working in an ad- advertising agency and bringing his street personality to bear. Um, and there's a lot of resistance and a lot of people don't like him, um, but it's up to him. He has to create um, ad campaigns out of his own experience. And so uh, <clears throat> that was also fun. And um, anyway, that's, that's smoke. That sounds really interesting given the um, questionable decisions that come out from advertising agencies in the real world when it comes to like when it comes to race and things like that. So uh, looking forward to his, to Dodson's adventures in, in advertising. Rira, do you have any more questions or? Um, I, I guess just like one uh, quick question. Are you reading anything right now during uh, this really wild time? I, um, I've been binge reading um, Thomas Perry, um, who is just an absolutely terrific writer. If you want to see how much that can be done with simple, direct prose, um, completely different from mine, um, he is—he's amazing. This is book Butcher's Boy is a classic, but I'm reading um, a series um, about a, a character named uh, Jane Whitfield, Whitefield, and she's extraordinary, really extraordinary. She's she's smarter in real world, real real world terms than Isaiah. Um, so it's been, I commend those books to you. Okay. Well, uh, thank you for your recommendations. Um, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us. Um, I, you know, hope you stay safe and take care of yourself. Um, self-care, you know? I, um, <laughs> yeah. The series is, um, the IQ series. Um, the latest book is High Five, available at bookstores everywhere. Uh, thank you. Thank you very much. And I'll tell you, it's it's very rare to have have fun in an interview. <laughs> so, <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness! Uh, thank you for the compliment. <laughs> All right, it's like you know, yeah. like you're in my living room or something. Anyway, anyway, thank you so much. Thank you for inviting. Me. And that was our interview with Joe Ide, the author of High Five and the IQ series. Um, Rira, are you excited for the new HBO uh, series? 
Oh, I'm all about HBO mystery series. I think I've like I've I've watched so many uh, Sherlock adaptations in my life, and uh, IQ is so you know it's so different from you know other Sherlock um, carnations, and you know like I'm really excited for it. I hope it like I'm really curious about the casting as well. Um, so that'll be interesting. Yeah, it sounds like they have a pretty good team that. Um, knows what they're doing so I'm looking forward to more news about that good luck to Joel and his team on making it happen Um, and on that note that'll also do it for this episode of Books and Boba thanks again for listening Um, so as a reminder our book pick for the month of June is Convenience Store Women by Sayaka Murata Um, (laughs) I, I just checked our Goodreads forums this morning And uh, two of our book club members said that the book is not as light as we thought. Uh, It was actually, like, quite depressing. (laughs) So uh, I know. I, like, (laughs) like, what, like, first off, I'm really sorry. Like, I have not read this book. And from, like, what other people have told me on Instagram and from what I've, like, gleaned, like, people really liked it. And I just, like, people said it was a quirky book. So I just thought it was a light like a more more on the light side you know it's short you know like i mean it's a lighter book like literally (laughs) um but i guess it's has hidden depths within (laughs) oh well we tried oh well 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 we we tried and it's gonna (laughs) you know i feel like it's gonna be a good book club discussion i like i am looking forward to it really curious as to what my opinion's going to be about it <laughs> i'm still happy that it's a shorter read because this month has already been pretty um like we said pretty um pretty heavy already um uh, but yeah looking forward i haven't started yet but i have the i have the book downloaded onto my kindle so i'm ready to go as soon as as soon as i can find time and looking forward to discussing that with you um, later this month so thanks again for listening to books and boba Rira, i'll see you next time all right bye thanks for listening to books and boba this podcast was hosted by marvin yue and Rira Yu and edited and produced by marvin yue follow the book club on twitter and instagram by going to at books and boba and engage with us on goodreads on our goodreads group you can also check out past episodes of the podcast by going to booksandboba.com and by subscribing to us on your favorite podcast app Books and Boba is a proud member of the Potluck Podcast Collective, a collective of Asian-American hosted podcasts featuring unique voices and stories from the Asian diaspora. Learn more about the collective and check out our fellow Potluck shows by visiting the website podcastpotluck.com. Thanks for listening. Hey, I'm Phil Yu, and you may know me from a blog called Angry Asian Man. And I'm Jeff Yang, author, journalist, and celebrity dad. We host a podcast called They Call Us Bruce, an unfiltered conversation about what's happening in Asian America. Each week or so, we host a discussion about some of the most vital and interesting topics in our pop culture and our community, bringing in guests who are shaping and informing this thing called Asian America from Hollywood to D.C. and beyond. Uh, we got media, entertainment, food, family, politics, representation, the good, the bad, the WTF of it all. 
So check us out wherever you get your podcasts or at theycallsbruce.com. Peace. Peace.